Psalms 37, 4 through 6 says, Enjoy serving the Lord, and he will give you what you want. Depend on the Lord, trust him, and he will take care of you. Then your goodness will shine like the sun and your fairness like the noonday sun. You know, so many people don't think that God wants you to enjoy life. When I was a young teenager, I kind of thought that about God. He really didn't want us to enjoy life. And uh, so I rebelled against him because that's what I thought. If he did not want me to enjoy life, then... Wow, then you, you go to church and people say, this is what heaven's going to be like. And I thought, dear Jesus, help us all. Because I thought, I'm not going to tell you what I thought. But anyway, th- we're going to talk to you today about Job. I'm going to get on the right track. Uh, facts, there, here's some just quick facts about the book of Job. It's not Job, it's Job. Uh, first of all, it's the oldest book in the Bible. Job was before the law. There was no law when Job was alive. He did not have a covenant with God. And uh, thank God we do have a covenant with God. We are so, people want to compare themselves with Job. We have a covenant with God. Job did not. And uh, there was no writings about God. God or Job couldn't just sit there and read a scroll about what God was like. And uh, Job was not a Jew. And Job was rich, not just a little bit. He was one of the wealthiest men on the planet. That's how rich he was. Uh, But imagine if a photographer was going to take your picture, and you didn't know what time he was going to take your picture, but it was going to be put in a uh, magazine, and you just, when he took your picture, that's all you knew. And what if he showed up? One morning at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., the doorbell rings, and you answer it, and you open the door, and all of a sudden, flash, your picture has been taken. Your hair's not combed, you know. When my hair was longer, Melody thought that when I woke up in the morning that I I combed my hair with one of those old-fashioned egg beaters. Have you ever seen one of them? My hair was just, Eric, she goes, what do you do in the middle of the night? Do you stand on your head? How does your hair get to be like that? I have no idea. But anyway, um, no makeup. I don't wear makeup, but for the women. Uh, And uh, let me just clarify that. You all, come on. No clean shaven. How about that for the men? And you just get your picture. And that picture is going to be put in a magazine for the whole world to see. For, what, 16, 17 hours? I mean, you look decent. You're ready for a photograph, but that part of the morning you are not. And uh, so it does not really represent you well, would it? Okay, moving right along. Um, it could be your, your worst part of the day, and you get a picture taken of you. I think this is what has happened with Job, what people have done with Job, have taken a picture of him like that, and he's, it's just not a good picture of the book of Job and Job himself. But in Matthew 16, Peter gets a revelation of who Jesus is. 
And God turns around to Peter and said, upon that revelation, I'm going to build my church. And uh, to the extent of knowing or having a revelation of who God is will be the extent of the gates of hell not prevailing against you and me. Did you hear that? To that degree of knowledge, who God is. It says in uh, Matthew 16, 19, it says that's when that will be manifested in your life. When you have a revelation of who God is, verse 19 then will come into revelation. Verse 19 says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, that term bind means whatever you forbid. Whatever you forbid on earth shall be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you shall loose or whatever you shall allow. When you replace words like that, it's like, you know, we're waiting on God to do this. And we're waiting on God to do that. I tell you what, you need to forbid sickness and not allow sickness. You need to hate it with every fiber of your being. Don't you stroke it like it's some little puppy dog. Come on now. Don't you sit there, yeah, I've had this bad knee for 50 years. You know, well, you know, it's okay. I just, I can get along. The devil's not thinking of you just having a bad knee and getting along. He's wanting you to be crippled for life and be put in a wheelchair. That's his goal. So don't stroke that thing that's like, well, I can live with that. Whatever you can live with, you will. Whatever you allow. Okay. Unbelievers say, well, if there's a God, this world wouldn't be in such a mess. There is a God. They say people wouldn't be suffering if there was a God who cared about us. He does care. He has made provision. He has made, he's done everything possible. And I know there's scriptures like 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, it says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And so people take that and say, see, God wants us to suffer. No, he's not saying that. But what Paul is saying compared to eternity, where God lives all the time, all the suffering in this life really is for just a really short time. And so he gets a perspective on this. I said, Paul, I meant Peter. What is the deal with all this suffering? Does God want you to suffer? I was raised that, uh, you know, it's the will of God that you suffer because he wants to teach you. He wants to do this and he wants to do that. But if you're going to talk about suffering, you have to talk about the book of Job. Theologians say that the reason for the book of Job is to reveal why the righteous suffer. Yet it's never told in the book the why. If that is the reason for the book, then why doesn't it tell us why Job suffered? Are you out there? If it's all about the righteous should suffer, then there should be a why or the book would be written in vain. Maybe, just maybe, the suffering of Job is not the emphasis of the book. Newsflash. God doesn't even start talking in the book of Job to about the 38th chapter. 
And he never tells why Job suffered. God emphasized deliverance, redemption, and restoration. That's what he talked about. There's preachers all around the world, and there's people all thinking, man, we got to talk about Job and all of his suffering. And when God started talking, he talked about deliverance, redemption, and restoration. Hallelujah. A clear revelation of God is essential, and we need to know what we believe concerning the book of Job. You know, the book of Job, I need, I've got 14 pages of notes, and we're going to be talking about this for this Sunday and next Sunday only. So you got to listen fast. Are you ready? The book of Job is the most concentrated example of suffering we have in the entire Bible. Yet, to the frustration of many theologians, the whys of Job's suffering are never really answered. And like I said, perhaps it's because God wants us to learn something else. In James chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. Remember that phrase, have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. God uses the story of Job to tell us that it doesn't matter what you're going through or the nature of the challenges you are facing. The principles are the same for all adversity. What matters is that you understand how to be patient like Job. You could also say his endurance in something called the end of the Lord. Let me just say this. Don't put in here what I'm talking about to endure anything having to do with a curse. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, you'll find out what the curse is. It's all kinds of sickness and every sickness not written in that book. Everything about poverty, everything about uh, your life failing, that's part of the curse. So don't think that that's what I'm teaching this morning, that we just have to endure this sickness, we just have to endure this poverty. No, we just got through saying that we're not going to allow this, we're going to forbid it, we're going to stand against it with every fiber of our being. Amen? But that phrase, have seen the end of the Lord. What is the end of the Lord? He's talking about Job here. We count them happy which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job. And he says, and have seen the end of the Lord. The end of the Lord is salvation, deliverance, power, dominion, authority, healing, financial provision. All of the things that our covenant with the Lord is intended to do in our lives. And he proved it by the end of the life of Job. Most theologians believe that he lived almost 200 years old. The part of Job that he suffered was nine months or less. Just putting things in perspective. People say, well, I just, the life of Job. I would go, "Woo, glory to God. And they go, what? What What are you saying? What are you all happy about that, Pastor? You obviously haven't read the whole book. What we see from Job is that the path we must walk to reach the end of the Lord is endurance. To reach the end of the Lord is endurance, financial freedom, authority, dominion, deliverance, power, healing. It's man, we gotta be, we gotta endure this, we gotta not give up. Too often we think we have to get have to do this and do that to get saved, study the word and pray, and then we'll. Just float through life on a little lazy river. 
But the Word of God teaches us something quite different. To achieve the end of the Lord in any area, endurance will be required. Listen, the Bible talks about this in James chapter 1, that simply is the way of life on the earth. The Lord didn't say if temptations and tests and trials come. He said when they come. When they come. The only path you can walk through adversity to the end of the Lord is endurance. Now, when I'm talking about trials and tribulations, I'm talking about attacks of the enemy, things in life, and just living in this sin-cursed world. Things happen because the world's cursed. So one of the purposes of Job is to reveal the value of endurance, steadfastness, and perseverance, to reveal God's dealing with us, which will result in a manifestation of his great mercy and tender lovingness toward you and me. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, or nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. The compassion, the mercy of the Lord is so high. When we mess up, we think that God won't help us. Job teaches something totally different from that. And let me just say, Job didn't have the knowledge of God that we have today. The book of Job is essentially an example of man trying to understand God by what happens to him in this world. That's how, Whatever happens to you, then you try to put God in that equation. As Job and his friends show us, you can't do that. You'll always come to the wrong conclusion. If you, listen to me. You will always come to the wrong conclusion if you... Get your circumstances and try to define God through your circumstances. That's not the way to know God. Job chapter 1, 1 through 5, real quick. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons, he had seven sons, three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. Wow. And his sons would go and feast in their homes, in their houses, each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would sin and sanctify them and would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Well, he should have taught his kids a little bit better about God instead of thinking that, well, they probably messed up. They probably sinned. Verse 8 says, Then the Lord said, to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Because of that one verse, theologians and people think God is causing this contest between Satan and himself uh, to put Job like a pawn on a chessboard. Nothing could be further from the truth. The original Hebrew says this in that phrase, Have you set your heart on my servant Job? God knew what the devil was going to do. And he says, have you set your heart 
on my servant Job. He knew what was going on. He wasn't saying, hey, why don't you check out Job? He's perfect. Why don't you go mess with him? That's not what God was doing. Verse 9. So Satan answered the Lord and says, Does God or does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to his face. The devil realized that people will serve God because that he's just good. The devil realizes that. It's a shame that Christians and people of the world don't know that. To serve God because he's good. The devil doesn't want people to know that God is long-suffering, patient, kind, good, and merciful to all people. James chapter 1, verse 13. If people are tempted by such trials, they must not say this temptation comes from God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. So right there, plain black and white, God doesn't send the trials. I said God doesn't send the trials. He doesn't send the evil to come and test you. But how many of us have thought in our walk with God, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you letting this happen? We don't realize when we say that, but that's a charge against God. As if somehow he's responsible. And he's just letting this happen to you. No. God knew that Job and what his wrong belief system was. He's the one who let the hedge down. Not God. He didn't even have a covenant with God. But yet there was a hedge of protection around him. Because he loved God and endured and uh, believed God. But he was the one that his false belief system was causing his hedge to be down. And so God realized this. The devil realized this. And so the devil, he wasn't asking permission. The Bible says the devil seeks. The Bible says this. The devil seeks. He goes, runs to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking whom he may devour. He's been doing that all along. And he found out, I can devour Job. God wasn't responding to the devil. The devil was just trying to move God against Job. And God would not have it because he was saying that, hey, you know what, God or Job is a good man. Verse 12, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from his presence of the Lord. Behold is acknowledging something that is already happening. God wasn't saying, oh, hey, just come check out Job. No, behold, that word in the Hebrew is acknowledging something that is already happening, bringing attention to an already existing fact. Satan already had his hand going in on Job. And God realized that. You remember the phrase, behold, you'll find a child wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger? Behold. Same principle. It's, not, it's something that's already happened. It's already existing. And so when Satan, or God said that to Satan, behold, he knew it was already happening. 
God was acknowledging that Job had already placed himself in the devil's hands. He knew that. His misbeliefs, his confusion about God. And one day, Job lost everything. His family, except for his wife, who's a real encourager. That was sarcasm. No, she wanted him to curse God and die. Just curse God and, you know what? And Job said in Job 3, 25, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. And I know I've preached before in the past that, you know, this is what left dropped down the hedge. I'm not for sure on that. I don't know. It may just be because of his belief system about God was so messed up. But he was expecting bad things to happen. Why does God allow bad things to happen? I don't have all the answers, but I, you have to have in your foundation because circumstances will happen to you that you don't have the answer. Your pastor will not have the answer. Your wife, your husband, your children, nobody will have the answer. And if you don't have in your foundation that God is good and that he is good to me and nothing evil comes from him, no matter Well, Job 1.21. Job says this. You've probably heard it at funerals. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gives. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It is true that Job said that. It's recorded that Job said that. But what is not talked about, what he said, is not true. Are you hearing me? For 38 chapters, Job talked and rant and raved. His three so-called friends rant and raved about how he missed it, that he, he sinned, and this is why he, all of this evil is happening to you. People haven't changed much. <laughs> Thousands of years, something bad happens. Oh, you've sinned. Man, you just threw yourself in with Job's friends. I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of company I want to keep. You know, if you sin, you want to have somebody go, hey, man, I love you, and God loves you. I'm praying for you. You're going to be all right. You're going to make it. Instead of you wretched sinner, you. That's why all this wicked stuff's happened to you. But did the Lord take away from Job? No, he did not. But this is the thing that you have to realize. God looked at Job in verse 22 and said, in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with a wrong. Even though he thought God was causing this to happen, he was saying that God is justified in causing this to happen. He wasn't making God the bad person in this. Wow. And he didn't even have any writings. We have the Bible, and Christians are saying that God is causing this. And he's... Don't go there. All right, I won't. Listen to this. Even though Job was theologically wrong. And he had the wrong concept of God. He believed in this. In other words, he had wrong theology, but a great attitude towards God. Listen to me. Even though you and I don't have... There, let me just say this. Nobody has perfect doctrine. Nobody. 
And I do mean nobody. I don't care if you're following some preacher and his doctrine you think is 100%. No, you just, he agree, you agree with him and he agrees with you. And that's why you think it's great doctrine. <laughs> but because of this fact, God can bring Job and open up his eyes to a place of deliverance because he had the right attitude towards God. When you have wrong theology and a wrong attitude, you're going to end up in a wrong destination. Ezekiel 14, 14. There's places in the Bible that talks about Job. It says this in Ezekiel 14, 14. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord. What God is saying, man, you can be in all kinds of trouble. All hell can be breaking loose. But I'm telling you what, because these men are righteous, they'll get delivered. Wow. Job 13, 15. Job says this, though he slay me, talking about God, yet I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. Now, part of that scripture is awesome. The last part is not so good. He says, I'm going to defend my own ways. I'm going to defend my own ways. Verse 20, it says, when Job arose, he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshiped. When you don't know what's going on, when you can't understand what's going on, you need to do at least what Job did and worship. Bill Johnson said something years ago that I've never forgotten. Actually, he didn't say it. I read it in the book. <laughs> he said this. On earth will be the only time that when you are going through a trial or you're going through something, this will be the only opportunity for you to praise and worship God in that kind of a situation. Because once you get to heaven, there's no more trials. There's no more bad circumstances. No, many, no more negative things can happen to you. Right here on earth is the only time ever that you will be given that opportunity. Think about it. Why do we need to worship God when you don't, when you don't understand? Lord, I don't understand this tragedy. I don't understand why my child got taken to heaven. You know, I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why my wife left me. I don't understand why I got fired. I don't understand. As long as you focus on what you don't know, as long as you focus on what you don't know, no more revelation will come to you what you should know. So what do you do? You focus on what you do know in the midst of... Of all hell breaking loose, you focus on, I believe, God, you are good. I believe you're good to me. I believe you died for me. I believe your blood has cleansed me and made me righteous. I believe, God, that your word is true that says by the stripes of Jesus I'm healed. I believe I've been made the head and not the tail. Whatever I put my hand to prosperous. I believe you, God, and I'm going to worship you for what I believe. And you just start worshiping him and praising him. And people may say, man, what's going on? And then when you come out of your prayer closet, you're not got sackcloth and ashes of what they had in the old covenant. But you got a smile on your face and a spring in your step because you know who your father is. It makes all the difference in the world. Only worship can do that for you. 
If you're focusing on what you happened to me, and you don't know what they did to me, you don't know what happened to me, I probably don't. But I do know what will bring you out of it. I can sit there and sympathize and, and, and just say, yeah, it was terrible, yeah, it was terrible. But that's not going to help you, and it's not going to help me. But I, I can grab you by the hand and say, man, I understand what you're saying, but I tell you what, there is a God who wants to help you and love you and pull you up out of this mess. There is a God. There is a God. So when you don't know, be like Job. Man, that's what brought him out of that. He didn't understand, but he knew what to do. He worshiped God. So many times that we want to be like Job and defend our ways. He did that. We do that. He tried to defend himself with his three so-called friends. But I'm telling you, we need to be Bible. You know, there's so many people who says, I believe in the Bible. Well, this is what the Bible says. Romans 13, 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Those three friends weren't fulfilling the law. They were doing harm. Elihu is the only, he was the younger one, so he kept quiet out of respect, and eventually he spoke. Job 35, 2. Do you think this is right? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? When you're trying to defend your way, Defend on what you believe, which may be wrong what you believe. Your righteousness is more than God's. Uh But you're thinking that if you talk like Job. If you think that God is the one harming you. If you think that God is causing hell to break loose in your life. If you think that, is your righteousness more than God? Matthew 5, 44. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Yeah. That's probably not on anybody's refrigerator. But then it goes on. This is what you and I need to know. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. When you have that kind of attitude that I'm going to pray for people that have used me. I'm going to pray for those who despitefully use me. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to pray for them. Then the sun of righteousness will rise up within inside of you and you'll walk as a son of the living God. You can't do that without having a revelation of grace. You'll just be legalistic like everybody else. You have to understand grace. They don't deserve it. Of course they don't. But you don't deserve it either. You don't deserve righteousness. You don't deserve healing. You don't deserve prosperity. You deserve absolutely nothing. But it's because of the grace of God. I said it's because of the grace of God. So when you have an understanding, a revelation of grace, listen, most of us do not. (laughs) Put the brakes on that puppy, didn't I? Most of us do not comprehend grace. If we did, there would be less judgment. There would be less pointing of the finger. There would be a lot less garbage and trash going on. 
I'm talking about the church world as a whole. You have a revelation of grace. You're not pointing out people's faults. You're not pointing out people's problems. Look what this preacher did. And look what that person did. Look what that church did. Look at it. Look at it. Look at it. You have a revelation of grace. The Bible says grace, love, covers a multitude of sins instead of pointing them out. Am I justifying sin? Absolutely not. Am I justifying if people are doing wrong? No, I'm not justifying any of that. But I tell you what, we usually don't have a problem in that area. We have the problem in praying for people who have hurt us. We have a problem with uh, just wanting to bless people. I'm not going to bless them. But then do you want the sun of righteousness to arise inside of you? It's inside of you to do it. Just so you know, you have the ability to do it, but it's a choice. It's a choice. And you won't choose that if you don't have a revelation of grace. So some of you have been thinking that, man, pastor has been talking too much about grace. Well, when everybody starts praying for everybody who starts abusing them, and come on now. Somebody told me that. It says, you know, you need to get over this grace and go on to something else. Somebody wrote me that and told me that. <laughs> Hallelujah. You need to go on to something else, something bigger than Jesus. That's what you're trying to say. Let's move on to something past Jesus. I don't think so. I'm not going to move past you. If you move something past Jesus, buddy, you, I don't know what kind of ground you're on, but it's not good ground. Is Jesus, grace and Jesus are the same thing. Grace and Jesus are one. If it wasn't for Jesus, there would be no grace. But thank God there's grace because there's Jesus and he shed it all inside of you. You have grace inside of you for every opportunity to love every single person, to respond with right attitudes. As Melody says, we're all grumpy from time to time. Uh, what did you have in your Cheerios this morning? Razor blades or what? But the good news is that bad morning should not define who you are. But as believers, that's who we define people, how they act. Thank God he doesn't define us by our actions. He defines us through Jesus. Let's stand. Amen. And amen, and amen. If you have a revelation of grace, you'll be a better person who walks in the healing power of God. If you have a better understanding of grace, you'll walk in the prosperity, finances like you've never seen before. If you have a grace of God, you'll be the biggest giver you've ever thought of, and it won't be because anybody's asking you to give. That's why I don't make an emphasis on giving, is because, you know what, if you understand grace... It's, it's just automatic. It comes out of you. Love comes out of you. Generosity comes out of you because grace is the biggest God, is the biggest giver. He's the biggest giver. Still is. Always will be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're opening up our eyes for what we need to see. Like Job had his eyes open, God, to open up our eyes. There's things that we blame on God, things that we don't understand and say, why, God? 
I'm thankful that you're a big God and you can handle that. You can handle the whys. You can handle the finger pointing. You can handle the cussing out. <laughs> you can handle all of the uh, terrible things that people say about you, God. And you don't get offended. You don't take offense. You understand where people are at just like you understood where Job was at. Yes, you confront people. You confronted him so that he may know of the goodness of God. May we be confronted. May our attitudes be confronted. May every wrong theologian doctrine that we may have inside of us, may it be confronted if it's wrong. So that our eyes can be opened to Jesus. I pray that, Father, for each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen.